1: Welcome to Three Hands, a special three-part podcast miniseries hosted by me, Blake Howard, from One Heat Minute, where I sat down with filmmaker, writer, Gregor Jordan, who, while doing press for his latest release, Dirt Music, coming to Australian cinemas on October 8th, sat down with me for a longer discussion about the films that defined his career. This episode, The Two Jokers, about Buffalo Soldiers and Ned Kelly. In Roger Ebert's review, dated August 8, 2003, he writes, Buffalo Soldiers is a black comedy about larceny, theft, drug dealing, adultery, and cheerful dereliction of duty amongst U.S. Army's troops stationed in Germany in 1989. He continues, This strain of irreverent Army misbehavior runs in various forms, from Catch-22 to Apocalypse Now to MASH to Beetle Bailey, and in happier times, the movie might have opened without controversy. But... It premiered three days before 9-11 at the 2001 Toronto International Film Festival. And Variety's critic Todd McCarthy wrote a day or two later, all of a sudden, this looks like the wrong film at the wrong time. That is exactly the question that continues to hover around Gregor Jordan's next effort, Buffalo Soldiers, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Ed Harris, and Anna Paquin. But it's not the first question that I wanted to ask Gregor. I had to know... How does someone go from directing a crime film set in Australia, so unapologetic about its Australiana, go to a scathing story about the nasty symptoms of the ongoing American war machine?
2: Well, you know, look, I grew up on military bases. My father was actually a pilot in the air force. Really? Um, yeah. So that, so that world of the military is something that I was always very fascinated by. It was sort of, I guess, part of my life. And, and you know, and my father actually um, fought in Vietnam as well. So, so I grew up hearing stories about war and about conflict, and 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 I guess I was always, you know, interested in it um, intellectually. It's not you know like I never wanted to be involved with the military, but I was always interested with it as a concept and those. You know, those movies made about Vietnam, like Platoon and and Apocalypse Now and Full Metal Jacket and The Deer Hunter, you know, were were very influential films to me, um, you know, because I guess, you know, look, you know, when you're talking about drama, you're talking about conflict and, you know, in a way, you know, war is the ultimate conflict, isn't it? And, you know, but... The, the the script uh, well you know the book sort of came to me um, just via my agent in Los Angeles um, and um, there was a there was a very early script that I read that was sort of I guess um, very very different to what the movie ended up being but you know put it this way I read the book and. I just suddenly thought this could be really great This, you know, and, and I kind of saw it as well. I kind of it was, I guess it was a bit of a eureka moment where I went, okay, I know how to do this. So I sort of talked to the producer who was a German guy who was based in the UK and said, let me have a crack at doing a, write, a rewrite of this. Um, and so I just went and did my own version. Yeah, so I just had a crack at writing it and, you know, and then went through a process of, you know, getting it right. And and I just sort of, you know, um, did, you know, it went well. And I, I, I guess I came up with a script that, you know, seemed to really speak to people and suddenly got a whole lot of attention. Um, and, 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 you know, which was great. And, and it, it was... I guess about something I thought was very interesting, you know, there was this great quote that started the book, which is, um, you know, when there is by Nietzsche, which is when there is peace, the warlike man attacks himself. Yes. And I can remember my mother talking about meeting, you know, people on these, you know, these military people. Um, and, and, you know, and I guess there was this idea that war is hell and war is this terrible thing that you want to avoid at all costs. But, you know, no one ever really talks about the idea that war, um, you know, that there's a lot of people out there that like war and want it. Yeah. And, you know, and if there's no war, they're bored out of their brains and try to create one. So, um, you know, that was something, you know, I thought that was a, a, a subject and a message that I hadn't necessarily seen before. And I thought it was a really interesting thing to explore. And so, you know, when the script got out there, it sort of somehow seemed quite fresh as, you know, as something that was, you know, worth looking at. Three things I love about Germany. My Mercedes-Benz, no speed limit on the Autobahn, and a black market for
0: anything I can get my hands on. War is hell, but peace, peace is boring. (laughs) Whatever you want, I can get it for you. Have you heard anything about those two trucks going missing? What trucks, sir? It's all brand new. You can retire on this. Yeah, I be
2: 100%. Everything was perfect until I started dating the sergeant's daughter.
1: You seriously out with me just to tick off my dad? No, I. Uh...
0: He's not someone you want to tick off. Lock and load. Take up a good firing
2: position. Ship 400,000 train killers over to some foreign land. You better give them war otherwise. We squashed the pedo. Well, it's sort of, it's actually like a gangster movie, you know, it's, it's sort of, you know, the same genre in a weird way, you know, but it's just that all the gangsters happen to be soldiers. Yes. My father's no different than any other powerful man. Any man who's responsible for other people. Like a senator or a president.
0: You know how naive you sound.
2: Why?
0: Senators and presidents don't have men killed. Oh. Who's being naive, Kay? It,
2: it, it was actually shot on a uh, on an army base in West Germany. Um, wow. Well, well um, the but, actual you know, setting. The actual setting yeah so um and and also a nuke base in uh, as well and um the, the reason we we're able to shoot there is because both had been abandoned um so so what happened is the americans you know had these gigantic bases everywhere um and then you know when they sort of you know at the end of the cold war they pulled out um and started decreasing their presence there i mean you know they had they had um half a million troops there so a lot of these bases then just you know became abandoned and sat there empty um and so we found one that was um we actually saw a couple but you know the one that we saw was i guess in the best condition like it was you know it was derelict but it wasn't so so far gone that you couldn't mow the lawn and you know (laughs) slap on a coat of paint and make it look
1: okay john glenn in the right stuff christoph in the truman show gene kranz in apollo 13. dave moss in glengarry glenn ross and general francis x hummel in the rock
0: it easy, man. make no mistake about it gentlemen we are now in harm's way
1: yes ed harris colonel berman in buffalo soldiers alongside walking phoenix is kind of the least ed Harrisy role of That purple patch in his career, around that time he's making The Rock, Absolute Power, The Truman Show, he's jumping straight into Pollock, which is one of his biggest performances, Enemy at the Gates, A Beautiful Mind, all around this, but this bumbling Colonel Berman is so endearing, and I had to talk to Gregor Jordan about how Ed Harris came to be in this role, and really how he didn't jump straight into the Scott Glenn role.
2: The story with Ed was quite quite serendipitous in a weird way, because you know, I guess when people read the script, they looked at the role of the sergeant, you know, that Scott Glenn played as, okay, that's, you know, after the, after Joaquin's role, that's the next role to cast. So I guess yes. that's the sort of the, the next, you know, he's the bad guy. So, you yeah. know, that's the one to cast next. And, and you know, we were sort of um, looking at Ed Harris, you know, and I'd always been a huge fan of his work. And, and I can remember talking to the producers and saying, you know, they sort of said, what about Ed Harris? And I said, oh my God, that would be amazing. Um, he'd be brilliant. And I sort of went, you know what would be really cool is, is if he played the Colonel role, you know, the sort of the bumbling Colonel. And and they said, oh, no, 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 you couldn't offer him that role. That would be, you know, that would be an insult if you offered him, you know, sort of like, you know, because, you know, the, the sergeant was seen as the sort of the flashier role kind of yes. thing. And I went, okay, all right, well, all right, let's offer him the sergeant then. Um, and and interestingly, you know, we got word back, yes, okay, Ed wants to meet, you know, he's interested, he wants to meet you. So I went and, um, you know, and and met him. And literally the first thing he said was, look, he goes, I really like this script, you know, I think it's really cool. He said, but... He said, I'm going to be honest with you. I've kind of played the the badass, yeah. kinda, you know, killer sergeant kind of role before. He said, um, but I really like the role of the colonel. <laughs> and I went, awesome. Wow. You're like, well. So he actually cast himself in that role.
1: Buffalo Soldiers into Ned Kelly. What do these two movies have in common? They star two Academy Award winning jokers. <laughs> and I thought my jokes were bad. You know, you're the only man in the world that I know of that's worked with two jokers. And and so uh and and, and, and both and both Academy Award-winning jokers, nonetheless. So, and you and you had them at this time of their career when they're when they are just stars on the rise.
2: Yeah. Well, look. I guess I, again, I'm lucky. I mean, it, it was an interesting process with Joaquin because our casting director, um, Laura Rosenthal, she sort of she actually mentioned him first, and I didn't have a great reference on his work because Gladiator hadn't come out at this point. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'd just seen him in To Die For, and obviously I knew all about River Phoenix, but, you know, I thought, oh, well, you know, he's really great in To Die For, but, you know, he just seems like a fucking, you know, gutter rat kind of thing. Like, <laughs> yes. like is he able to do anything else? And, yeah. and she was going, oh my God, yes, this guy, is, <laughs> he's the real deal, seriously. And I remember we sort of inquired um, as to his availability, and and I and I think it was because he had Gladiator coming out that his agents were very protective and wanted to try and just put him into big blockbusters. Yes. And so we got sort of really palmed off and just said, no, 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 he's not available. He's doing this, this, this and this and um, you know, and sorry. So we sort of, you know, went through the rounds and we spoke to a bunch of other actors and couldn't find the right person. And then it, it sort of turns out that Joaquin had this agent that represented all the kids in his family including um, but you would sort of been rapping him since he was a kid and someone from that agency happened to read the script and said oh my god you know Joaquin would love to do you know why don't you <laughs> offer it to Joaquin and we said well we were told you know we we're told we're kinda to wait. fuck off we kind of wait to him first <laughs> we were told to fuck off and um and and so they then sent it to him and and it turns, as it turns out, he was sort of couldn't find anything he wanted to do. And he finally read the script and went, oh, oh this is, you know, I love it. Yes. So, you know, so we sort of, I guess, found each other in the end. Um, but what, what I found really interesting about him um, is that as a person, he's really, really funny. Yes. Um, like he's hilarious. Um, and, and he's got a really sort of, he's got a really great de- self-deprecating sense of humour as well. Like, he's very, he's a very sort of humble guy. You know, he's not, he's not an egomaniac at all, you know.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but he's very funny. And um, and so, you know, and I, and I think he's very funny in the movie as well.
1: He is um, funny. He's got, uh, he's got, he's got great looks. He, you know, yeah. there's great in Buffalo Soldiers. There's a lot of him having to react straight to someone saying something ridiculous yeah. or to a threat where he has to just kind of like, he knows his back's against the wall, and he's got a great face for just kind of like putting a, yeah. a look on someone, raising his eyebrows. Like, he's playing it straight. Yeah, playing it straight. right. Yeah, no, he. Um,
2: so yeah, I'm surprised that he hasn't done more sort of humorous work or hasn't been drawn, you know, because a lot of his work is very serious. Um,
1: and and, and, but he lets it out. Occasionally gets a, you know, Buffalo Soldiers or an Inherent Vice. And, you yeah. know, he, he may as well be a cartoon. He's like Bugs Bunny in Inherent Vice. He's wonderful. He's absolutely wonderful. You know, he's getting yeah. tossed around by Josh Brolin. It's, you know, you, you have him being tossed around by Scott Glenn and, and, and PTAs <laughs> and being tossed around by... Uh, by Josh Brolin, and the world is good. You know the <laughs> authoritarians are there to to kind of to kind of ruin it.
2: Really, I'm standing here on the the shoulders um, of my favourite actor, uh, Heath Ledger. So thank you and good night.
1: From West Germany, back in 2001 with Buffalo Soldiers, Gregor Jordan heads back to Australia to tackle a canonical historical character, Ned Kelly.
0: My mother is rotten away in a prison cell. My Irish brethren have been imprisoned unlawfully. But I am a widow's son outlawed,
1: and my orders must be obeyed. Now, he has made two movies where protagonists have, let's just call it a complicated relationship with criminality. But this is an Australian figure that carries a lot of mythical baggage. Arguably one of the first films ever made in the entire world is a Ned Kelly story. We've also had Mick Jagger. This is how
0: they remember me. My mother that reared me, my family, my friends, not broken, not bedraggled, not condemned. No prisoners!
1: We've had satires like Abe Forsythe's Down Under that skewer Ned Kelly's place in our culture. That Ned Kelly? Ned wouldn't stand for all these lebo-cocks bringing their grease here from other countries. Nick was Irish. And even as recent as 2019, we've had the punk rock revisionist True History of the Kelly Gang.
0: Will you die for your mommy? Tell the truth. You're a dancing monkey! go do it! A man cannot outrun his destiny.
1: But let's go back to circa 2002, Two thousand and three, where Heath Ledger's star power may have been the only thing that greenlit this movie.
2: Well, it actually came via Tim White, who was the producer, one of the producers of Two Hands, but he was the guy who I sort of developed the whole script of Two Hands with. Yes. Um, He'd been working with Working Title um, and had set up sort of an Australian arm of Working Title, and and they were sort of looking for projects to do. And and the script of Ned Kelly... um, came to them. And Tim, you know, sent it to me. So it just sort of, I'd never really thought at all about doing a film about Ned Kelly, but I read the script and just thought it was, you know, really interesting. It was a really interesting take. I mean, it was a sort of a fascinating process because the writer, um, John McDonough, who'd, who'd adapted Robert Drew's book, had written this sort of very beautiful poetic piece that was very kind of lyrical and you know a, a little bit like a Terrence Malick film
1: John Michael McDonagh in case you don't recognize the name is the director of Calvary war on everyone the guard an absolutely incredible filmmaker in his own right but his Malick vision didn't come to be
2: look John got very upset with me because you know the the what happened in, in the making of it um, was that you know to make you know to essentially make a period and that you know road movie is what it is Um, you know with with lots of extras on horses and gun battles and period towns and bank robberies and all this kind of stuff you know you need a bit of money to be able to do it well Um, and you know and all All the extras all in period costumes and you know and you know it it, it required a bit of a budget and so when we sort of budgeted the film you know we realized we didn't have enough money and you know and then this huge pressure came on us from the studio to sort of you know I guess homogenize the film and to pump up the love story and to You know, they even wanted Heath to not have a beard. You know, they wanted him clean shaven. And he basically said he'd walk off the movie if he had to be clean shaven. So there became this, you know, the whole beard issue became a war zone. Um, And, you know, and as a result, John's script, that was very sort of lyrical and malic and dreamlike kind of became a lot more conventional through the process but also you know some of the bigger set pieces had to be toned right down as well um just because we couldn't afford to shoot them so um so you know i sort of have a sense of regret um you know not i i think the movie turned out well but it didn't turn out as well as what it could have Um, and like i say john got really pissed off um, because he sort of you know blame me for watering down his vision so to speak or um even though um you know i was under enormous pressure from universal studios to make it much more like a traditional western and you know and i think like i say i think the movie turned out well but you know in the end i think it sort of um you know had had some of those lyrical magical um you know poetic elements to it and you know and had sort of some of the big broad epic western elements to it but you know it was sort of maybe not one or the other <laughs> in terms of who that person ned is you know in in australian culture and yeah. i mean you know he's a polarizing figure even now you know if you talk yeah. to people in the police or in the legal fraternity they go he's a scumbag cop killer you know if you talk to bikies or Trades, they go, he's a you know, he's a working class hero. Um, so you know, and and I guess we sort of portrayed him as the latter. You know, he's a guy who, you know, he's a guy whose family was picked on by the authorities and you know, and fought back and um, you know, and then was sort of um, killed for it. You know, he's a Christ like figure, nice. um, but you know, on the other side. <laughs> You know, I think there's also a way of telling that story where he's actually a total psychopath who um, just was unwilling to ever be um, law-abiding. And you know, when push came to shove, had no problem killing cops. Um, Yeah,
1: (laughs) it's uh, I and and I think that that's what makes him probably fascinating for people to keep revisiting because you can just get you can have your take on it, right? Like I think that right now in 2020, with some of the you know, police brutality that's happening around the world, you know, uh, a, a working class hero gets bullied by police and fights back. Um, you know, I think they probably want you to have a Django unchained ending and just, you know, there's no, at the Glen Rowan, there's no death that he just, you know, mows everyone down like Robocop is probably what they'd be asking for <laughs> you right now.
0: Y'all gonna be together with Calvin in the bye and bye. just a bit sooner than you always expect. Ah! Billy Crash. Ah! Now, where were ah! we? Oh, that's right. Last time I seen you, you had your hands on my... Could do a
2: Tarantino-esque ending and, and have Ned Kelly actually just you know um, you know kill all the cops and then ride off into the sunset.
1: But would Gregor Jordan ever make another Western? Here's what he had to say:
2: To try and make to try and make a period film, you know, of that kind of scale is very is very difficult. Yes. Um, and you know, and unless you're dealing, you know, unless you're making something with sort of pretty overtly commercial elements to it um it's going to be very hard to pull together the budget to do it well yeah um you know and that's like you know as i said earlier that's where we struggled from day one with trying to make that film is you know it's just to have the right amount of money to do it properly i mean you know it's not like a, you know a modern film where you can just go and stand on any street corner and turn the camera on and the cars that are just driving down the street will just be alright you know with this you've yeah. literally got to build a whole town this you know is, yeah. if you if you want a town you've got to build it <laughs> um, or you know or find a town you know that looks old enough where you can cover the whole street you know clear it of cars cover the whole street in dirt you know remove all the signage um, and you know, and have green screens at both ends of the street, you know <laughs> what I mean? So, so you know, just any simple thing becomes expensive when you're trying to, you know, when you're trying to do period in that kind of way. I mean, just, you know, trying to shoot in any direction with, with no trace of the 20th 21st century in it, you know, everywhere you look, there's power lines or there's, you know, aeroplanes with vapor trails or there's, um, you know, there's you know, there's um, wire fences or there's, yeah. you know, there's bitumen roads. You know, the, it's just very, very hard, you know, to find a way to shoot those kinds of films. I've
0: been a prisoner at Port Macquarie at Norfolk Island.
1: On the final instalment of Three Hands, Gregor Jordan and I discuss his latest film, Dirt Music, out now in Australian cinemas. This has been a one-heat-minute limited series production. Special thanks to Universal Studios Australia and Gregor Jordan for their time. We'll see you in the final episode of the limited series
0: tomorrow.